Santiago Beltran. Today we're going to be looking at the Nashville SC match that St. Louis City just played this weekend and an unfortunate 3-1 defeat. But we're also going to have a nice preview of the Real Salt Lake midweek match. So this should be a pretty pretty hefty episode. Stick with us. We've got a lot of information to pack into this, but we're going to have some fun doing it. Santi, how are you? Doing great, Matt. Could be better, but obviously um, tough tough game for City last night. But um, it's part of the process. Um, this was a game that a lot of people didn't give much um, about City getting a point or getting three. And Bradley Carnell has said it earlier in the week that they were going to go free without much pressure. And obviously you always want more, but um, just think about half point of the season, 29 points, first place. You you have to look at the positives and uh, now at the next the next game is just in four days. So great opportunity to bounce back. That's the thing, right? We are officially at the halfway point of the season and halfway point of the season, first place in the West tied for it and ahead on tiebreaker. It's it's still much more than you could have ever hoped for from the start. And there there's a lot of that kind of mindset, needing to keep into consideration expectations, the expansion aspect, and that we've just built an initial roster. We're going up against, especially in this match, the the def- reigning and defending league MVP and golden boot winner, and the has to be the leading MVP candidate this year as well. So let's let's dive into it and let's kick it all off with our starting 11 and some opening thoughts on the match, Santi. This one, yet another, I believe it's the 16th different starting lineup that we've run out by necessity is this one where Roman Berkey was in net again, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett, and Jake Nerwinski made up our back line, Miggy Perez and Indiana Vasilev. Actually, you know, let's, let's talk about the midfield as a four man midfield. So it's not the two that we are used to. This was a four, four, two diamond. So beyond the back line, Miguel Perez, Indiana Vasilev, Tomas Ostrock, and Jared Stroud, if you're doing counterclockwise, and then Nico Joachini and Rasmus Alm up front. So no Edu Leuven, couldn't go from the quad. No Jabulu Blom, couldn't go because he was in South Africa for his national team. Still no Klaus, still no Nielsen. What did you make of the personnel and the formation that we ran out? I like it. I like it. I think it was appropriate for what we had previewed about Nashville and about Nashville maybe uh, sitting back and giving the ball to City. So I like it from from the start with Perez uh, part of the initial part of that diamond and then Indiana Basilev as basically the number 10 close to Giacchini. So I liked it and I like that um, the team kept the same backline that's, that has been giving it results recently. So from the from the beginning, I thought it was a good lineup. Obviously, you have uh, big absences. Uh, finally, we, we were able to get confirmation on Edward Leuven not being on the game. Um, but this team has that next man up mentality, and uh, it held for a good 65, 70 minutes. Uh, but uh, it's just that uh, when you have Hani Mukhtar on the other end, you know he can he can be dangerous anytime like um and that showed in the second half and that's definitely the theme that we're gonna see persist throughout this show is the impact that Hani Mukhtar had but before we get into some of the stats and how the game played out one thing that I think is important at least for me to keep in mind throughout this as we talk is we saw a notable difference in the first half versus the second half we know that we were down both of our DPs, our, our main cleaner there at the number six, we still don't have our one of our presumptive top center backs. There was a lot of conversation after this match about depth. And to me, there is a, a few spots where that's warranted. But in general, knowing how many stars and how many impact players were missing from this match, the depth of St. Louis City was tested and and succeeding more so in the first half. When you look at the second half, you're seeing where a team that needs to be three deep at a position could could shine or or you need to have more than one or two players at any given position in order to really fight back for the against the league MVP. What we saw in the second half to me that we'll touch on is that lack of third options when you're looking at a healthy squad. So you have Edu Leuven, Jabulu Blom, Indiana Vasilev, Miggy Perez. You're down after that point to Akil Watts, Max Schneider in your defensive midfield. And you needed a Kia Watts on your right back role. So 
keeping in mind through all of this, I just have I have caveats to a lot of the depth conversations that have been occurring at least today on social media. But before we get into all that, I want to recap real quick the stats coming into this to set the stage of where the teams were. Possession-based, neither one of these teams really really were used to having more than 50% possession. We saw that end up working out. St. Louis came into this match 45% possession, Nashville 47. Neither team had more than 13 shots averaging attempted. Nashville had slightly more passing. St. Louis had mid-300s for total passes. You're talking about teams that were consistently winning duels, having tackles where St. Louis came in winning 13 tackles a game, Nashville 9. And St. Louis, the more physical team. A lot of this ended up playing out exactly how we thought. And not just from a stats perspective where it was about 50-50 possession and you had St. Louis with 13 shots, Nashville with just under. You had Nashville with a little around 450 passes, St. Louis with just over 400. But you saw exactly what we talked about last week, Santi. The impact of Hani Mukhtar not just in, in finishing but in chance creation and what he can do on and off the ball to facilitate everything else. When we get to the goals here in a little bit, I think you'll start to see that impact. And, and it's exactly how we talked about it. And Bradley Carnell hit it after in his postgame comments that they knew what to expect and they were hit with it. And, and that's a, a key piece I want to touch on. But from how this game played out, Nashville, to me, maintained a pretty perfect diamond passing formation where Hani Mukhtar and Teal Bunbury were up front most of the time, finishing a lot of those chances or at least creating chances in the higher portions of the field. And you had a lot of consistency in what they were trying to do, even if they weren't very successful in the first half. In St. Louis, St. Louis, where you were talking earlier, Santi, about Indiana Vasilev, I want to highlight Indy and Jared Stroud, who Bradley Carnell talked earlier about their ability to be, be in different parts of the field, their flexibility in, in both the attack and defending, and the way that they were utilized in the width of the midfield, almost as those diamond pieces, the width more or less was collapsed in and, in and on itself in the midfield. And so you have a less wide uh, city attack and a, a little less wide of the defense, but it clogged up the channels in the first half. I was, I was really impressed, and I think that's a key piece, is leveraging that diamond midfield and how it was able to be really stifling Nashville in the first half. And then it was the second half to me had a vastly different look, but what did you think overall, Santi, of of any anything passing formations the way things started to play out yeah <clears throat> so first a correction it wasn't indiana Basilev on the 10 it was uh it was um it was thomas ostrak um i was hoping for a big game from him and and he showed really good things on on the first half obviously had to come out early on the second half after um kyle heaver's red card but I like what the team did on the first half besides that early goal, which obviously it comes after that controversial uh, PK that wasn't called. And then Nashville, uh, a couple of plays later, scores. But uh, the team kept its head up and continued pushing and, and creating chances and maintained a, a good amount of, of pressure and option creation during the first half. And finally, it paid off. At the end of of the towards the end of the first half, with that goal that was also reviewed by VAR, but um, I really like the first half, also the beginning of the second half. But um, Nashville, when you play against one of those teams that are at the top of their conference and have a player like Hani Mukhtar, um, you have to. Uh, make a lot of adjustments and if you are missing your dps and some more key players you can you can tell like as the game wears on and and gets older when you get to the final 20 30 minutes uh those players like Hani Mukhtar can can prevail but um i think the team fought and and did what what it could with the personnel it had a few things could have gone their way and uh, we could be talking about a different story. But at the end of the day, Nashville took advantage of the opportunities they had. And, and Hani Mukhtar, um, obviously very effective when, when he has chances to score and uh, that reflected on the final score. Yeah. So let's talk about those goals. Cause you mentioned, especially the first half. And I think 
the way that the goals occurred to me highlighted almost a microcosm of the game itself. Starting off in the 11th minute where Hani Mukhtar playing the ball deep into the right in the right channel in their attacking third. He dropped it off to Sean Davis, who in, in a quick motion played it out right to Shaq Moore, who all three of them were pretty far along and pretty high. After Shaq Moore received the ball, Hani Mukhtar had more or less circled back into the box. And when Shaq Moore crossed the ball to Alex Mule, Hani Mukhtar was just sitting, waiting in the box to see what would happen after that ball was pretty high up, almost to the to the end line there. And it wasn't Alex Mule who caught the ball. It was a running Miggy Perez, who it wasn't easy. To, it wasn't hard to tell that his responsibility in there was Hani Mukhtar. And when Miggy Perez went for the ball instead of staying back to Hani Mukhtar, because you saw Tim Parker was in front of Alex Mule as well. Mickey Perez headed it back, but he didn't have momentum. He didn't have a lot of um, oomph behind his his header. And so the ball didn't go very far. It went right to Hani Mukhtar, in fact, who was left unmarked, left open, and it was an easy shot. Miguel Perez, after that header, was more or less out of bounds and had yet to recover back where he was, I think, seeing the ball, thought it was going a little further. But that that was just the first time Hani Mukhtar created a chance and then played himself off the ball to get into the perfect spot to receive something and score it. So while, yes, it was it was a gut punch right off the bat, it was also a sign of things to come. Yeah, and that's where you see how valuable Hani Mukhtar is because um, the play started with him, and, and he had, like, Parker, Barlett, and Heber close to him, and uh, then he... Uh, he he played with Davis, but at that point he created a space. And then when, when Shaq Moore uh, hit the cross, Hani Mukhtar was out there by himself. But that's a result of two or three players going after him and not repo- not being able to reposition themselves quickly after he, he makes that pass. So you can see how valuable he is. He can, uh, he can basically get two or three guys and create a space even for him on the next play or for his teammates. So you can see how good he is uh, and how he's able to to create a space. Yeah, and I'll save the the other comments on Miguel Perez for after the third goal because there's some there's some deep dives in him and some of the other players that I want to get into, but before that, the Nico Joachini goal. What a wild sequence. I mean, this this ball it had everything. It had a corner kick, it had an, a a pass from Nashville, it had two different reviews in VAR. And an amazing cross by Rasmus Alm that I think gets overlooked in all of this. But the corner started from Indiana Vasilev. He passed it short to Rasmus Alm, who crossed it into the box, where at the point from his cross, St. Louis was onside. The ball ended up going off a of falling Daniel Lovitz, falling into the box near the keeper. And Nico Joachini at that point, once it hit Lovitz, was then in an offside position. And the ball came and hit off of Nico Joachini. I'll just say it went off of his body and into net past Joe Willis. Um, as Nico fell into it, there's the, that's where the second VAR came in. But the first look at this one, Santi, was looking at offside. And from the broadcast, that was a very quick look because all they needed to do was see that Lovitz was the one who touched it from Rasmus Alm's corner kick. It didn't touch a single St. Louis City player. And so at that point, the only consideration for offside would be from the point of Rasmus Alm's kick. And when he when he kicked it, when he crossed it, St. Louis was onside. So that was perfect. The next question, and the, the one that VAR spent the most time looking at, was Nico Joachini and where he touched the ball when it went into the net. And you can make an argument for the arm, but unlike the Daniel Lovitz uh, where, it, where he touched the ball, there was nothing clear and obvious about where the ball touched Nico. And because there was nothing clear and obvious and the call on the field was offside, that was the clear and obvious that they were looking at. Nico touching the ball wasn't clear and obvious that it was his arm. And so the fact that he touched the ball going into the net was allowed to stand kind of a, a confirmation um, play call play stands as called type of a thing where Nico kind of hit, I guess his back is what they ended up going with or back or shoulder. So that was, it was good opportunity for Nico, good positioning off of the corner or, and the cross and just a good effort from St. Louis to crash the box. Absolutely. Very well executed set piece. Um, 
I was talking on the broadcast earlier that obviously without Lubin, uh, you don't have uh, basically your your main player for corner kicks, free kicks. But uh, that was a very good set piece by by City on that corner kick. And kudos to Nico for for continue following the ball and uh, fighting towards the end. And where it hit his back, his his shoulder at the end of the day. It was reviewed by VAR and it was confirmed. And at that point, I thought the momentum changed and uh, City actually had a couple of looks uh, before halftime. But um, I was, for the second half, I was like, okay, City has this. And and yeah, we know we're going against um, the odds that Nashville hasn't allowed two goals um, in, in a game. Only once, right? Only once, yep. but not at home. But I was like going against the odds and, and Nashville has been good at home, but um, things are looking good for City. But but then uh, halftime, uh, both teams uh, make substitutions and things changed. Boy, did they ever. Second half starts and Jake Nerwinski leaves. Johnny Nelson comes on for him. But that was only half of the change. On the other side, Jacob Schaffelberg came in for Randall Leal and Ethan Zubak came in for Teal Bunbury. The Zubak for Bunbury wasn't as noteworthy to me. That was uh, that was a, a tactical sub, obviously. But the biggest impact for Nashville is the introduction of Schaffelberg. Because when Schaffelberg came in, he slotted in on the left-hand side, left of Mukhtar. And that's kind of the biggest change for Nashville is they were introducing a very, very quick threat on the left attacking side. And unfortunately for St. Louis, their, their simultaneous tactical change was to send... Kyle Hebert to the right back role, put Johnny Nelson in at left back and let things go from there. But that was the only personnel change. The other change for St. Louis City that was very noticeable is more or less musical chairs in their attack and midfield. They changed their entire look in their attack and their midfield. They sent Miguel Perez to the left of the diamond. They brought Indiana Vasilev to the base of the diamond. Thomas Olkstrock stayed where he was at the 10, and Jared Stroud moved to the right. In the attack, Rasmus all moved to the left for a, a good amount of the time. And so there were some significant tactical changes. You have to figure that Carnell and crew saw something consistent in the first half, whether it's Mukhtar, whether it's um, Alex Mule or whoever it might have been that was threatening in different portions and just how a Jared Stroud and how an Indiana Vasilev can impact things and how Rasmus all might've found more success on the left-hand side. So you knew there was intent because with that many changes, you knew something had to be intentional. Unfortunately, the things as they played out were really in Nashville's favor. And it started in the 54th minute with Kyle Hebert getting his first yellow card in a tackle on Schaffelberg. And then almost to a T after that, it was that times 10 where you have a moment uh, in the leading up to the 70th minute where Hebert was already on a yellow. He had that rough challenge against Schaffelberg earlier. St. Louis was high pressing and the ball fell to Alex Mule very quickly just before midfield from Nashville. He made an incredible pass down the right hand side to a streaking Hani Mukhtar. And this pass was just picture perfect. Caught him in stride. Nelson and Indiana Vasilev, the left back and our defensive mid, they were high pressing. They were right next to Alex Mule. They were trying to steal the ball, trying to make the tackle. And because they were at that position before midfield, it was only Parker and Bartlett who were left back to defend Hani Mukhtar. So Mukhtar had beat Parker already in the past and in the transition. He had a 1v1 against Roman Berkey. But instead of shooting, he made the final pass to Schaffelberg, who was coming streaking alongside of him. And Kyle Hebert from behind fouled him in the box in transition. And the rest is is history. Uh, Kyle Hebert picked up his second yellow and was sent off for a red. And Hani Mukhtar converted the penalty past Berkey, who, to his credit, guessed right. And it was just past his fingertips. To me, Santi, we would have been better served if Hani Mukhtar would have just shot the ball and scored as opposed to what ended up happening with Kyle Hebert. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking about that because if he had shot and scored, obviously those scoring plays are always reviewed. And one thing we were debating on on the broadcast was if Hani Mukhtar was maybe offside, which I'm not sure if that's reviewed as part of the penalty kick review. I don't think it is. Uh, But at least from the from the angles I saw, it looked like he may have been offside. It was close. Um, 
Yeah, it was close. Uh, and just thinking about the two plays, the, the the one for the PK and the first yellow that Kyle Hubert got, uh, we talked during the, um, the preview of the game on Thursday about Nashville's ability with the long ball. And you could see that on, on both plays. Uh, the first yellow for here was a, a long ball from Davis to to Schaffelberg and uh, he he ended up beating Hebert and when Hebert tried to get the ball ended up uh, getting that yellow card and same thing on the on the second goal uh, a quick quick uh, quick long ball from 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 Mule um, winning that second ball uh, Basilev and Nelson were were around and kind of deflected but weren't able to get the second ball and great pass but. Mule uh, with that long ball to to Hani Mukhtar. So we we saw um, Nashville's strengths um, on play on on those two plays. And then after that, it was you're down to ten men. You need to adjust the formations. You need to to protect defensively because with your right back and one of your toughest defenders sent off, you need reinforcements. Seventy second minute, Akil Watts comes in for Tomas Ostrak, and you see the defensive shape change where Akil Watts slides into more of that right-back role, and you're losing an attacker at that point. But, boy, you don't... That last goal really hurts to me, Santi. The the way it played out, the fact that it wasn't really a heavy transition. I mean, it was, it was transition from midfield, but it wasn't like we were caught off guard like their second goal attempt was, and where what we just talked about with the, the Mukhtar to uh, Shackelberg pass. This was a loose ball that Hani Mukhtar recovered at midfield. And I, I feel like I've said it two or three times today alone. He ran a literal circle around Miguel Perez. He, he yep. took the ball and just circled to his left to try and create space. Miggy Perez following him the entire time. Akil Watts, Indiana Vasilev were helping. So he had three guys on Hani Mukhtar. But he eventually dribbled himself out of it and then made a pass. After dribbling himself out of it, he moves the ball forward a significant amount and then makes a pass to Alex Mule, who again passes to Dax McCarty high. And while they're doing this, Hani Mukhtar is positioning himself, still running into the box, and you juxtapose it to Miguel Perez, who wasn't still running with him. And so by the time Mukhtar gets into the box, he finds the loose ball. It feels like a loose ball from Dax McCarty, and there's nobody again to stop Mukhtar. He, Miguel Perez didn't stay with him. Uh, Bartlett and Parker were focused on Mule and McCarty, and once again, Hani Mukhtar had almost a free shot on goal. Yeah, but but again, he created the space. He had basically his circle around three players and he kept following the play. But at that point, there was a space and um, also the pass from Dax McCarty, like uh, without thinking, just pass it back uh, very quick and obviously left uh, Hani Mukhtar just in front of goal and uh, he's very effective when when he gets time and space and that was the end of the game for for City. It was and so with that being the last kind of key moment you know there were some chances after that there were some more substitutions we ended up bringing in Celio Pompeu, Aziel Jackson and Isak Jensen but the the book was written on that one and St. Louis Falls three to one there were some positives to take away. Nico Joachini again, scoring in his third consecutive match. He now leads the team with seven goals in MLS play. But we would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the things that we need to talk about going forward from this. And it's not just the adjustments that Nashville made with Jacob Schaffelberg and the, the consistency that Hani Mukhtar provides and that high level. It, it's the adjustments in the second half and how they just did not work and the implications from them. Because Bradley Carnell talked briefly about those post-game, and I don't know if you have anything to expand on this, Santi, but what I gathered is that the Jake Nowinski sub was both tactical in nature, like we mentioned with the rest of the roster movements on the field, but also the Real Salt Lake midweek match played into a little bit. We talked uh, last week on Flyover that if Edu Leuven can't go, it's Jake, Jake Nowinski and Roman Berkey as the only players to start every MLS match. Jake Nowinski is, is clearly viewed as a, a must-start player right now based on how our roster is, based on his form, and what he provides to the team. There's no other option at right back that the club really feels confident in starting. And this tells me he's going to start Wednesday, and he was subbed out to save his legs so that he could play. And the, the way that we changed formations, moving Kyle Hebert, it also says there's, a, there's an implicit trust 
to Bradley Carnell's uh, how he heavy views Kyle Hebert. And that implicit trust seemed like it it didn't I wouldn't say backfired, but it didn't have the effect on the right hand side because of the simultaneous sub of Schaffelberg and the impact Hani Mukhtar can have on other parts of the field. It didn't work out with Hebert over there, and it's unfortunate now that we don't have Hebert against RSL. The other thing to me, Santi, is Miguel Perez. There's a lot of conversation going on back and forth about did this game expose him? Did it did it show that he needs more time with City 2? Does he belong at this level right now? And there were some individual mistakes in in where his placement was on the field. There were some some bad decisions in isolation. But in a game of moments, where two of those moments in particular led to goals, he didn't have an otherwise noteworthy bad game to me. In fact, he was a part of that midfield that was stifling Nashville in the entire first half. So I don't think all of that can go unnoticed. I think a little bit of it is... So there is there is the portion to me of he's 18, he's still learning, he's, he's only played a 10, 12 MLS games at this point, whatever the number is. So there's still a lot of development occurring. And this game magnified that to the extreme against Hani Mukhtar. And Hani Mukhtar is going to make an average, even a good MLS midfielder and defender look silly most of the time. And what he was able to do in space to play off of Miguel Perez is just as much of a testament to Mukhtar's finesse and capabilities as it is to Miguel Perez needing some more growth and development to be able to hang with that type of a player. Would there have been a massive change with Jabulu Blom and Edu Leuven? Possibly, Yeah but we don't know and hopefully we get a chance to know, but I think it did highlight the opportunities for growth that Miguel Perez had. Yeah, definitely. hundred um, percent agree. But to your point, first half, um, he was instrumental in, in getting Nashville uh, shut down and keeping the game close. One thing um, I was uh, thinking about uh, when I saw he started and, and we also talk about it, talk about that during our broadcast was that um, he has only played 90 minutes uh, in Open Cup against Union Omaha. And I guess if you count the FC Dallas match, he, he also played uh, 90 minutes. I yeah, wouldn't count that one. But uh, one thing uh, on the game he has started, he usually gets subbed around 55th, 60th minute. Um and this time he he went longer, and that's one of the things uh, we were talking about. Oh, he'll probably get subbed out for the second half. Um, and it's part of his development. Maybe he's not uh, like he, he's a good player, but needs to continue developing, and and maybe not ready for 90 minutes. And and maybe that's one of the things that that this game showed. Uh, he still needs uh, some development, and maybe as part of those adjustments that the team makes for the second half, um, maybe he needed to be uh, subbed out. Um, but overall, I think he, he had a good game. And um, yeah, people complain a lot that, that he's not ready for MLS. But when, and obviously it's hard to get into seeing the comments on social media, but mm. but some people are also right with, with what they say. They They're like, well, yeah, he's 18, but he he's playing. And if the coaches believe in him, it's because they they have seen something in him. And yeah, he needs more development. But he's a good player, and he has a bright future. And he will learn from these moments. And I think the the team and the coaching staff will also get some takeaways and continue uh, developing Miggy. But but yeah, I wouldn't blame the whole thing on on Miguel Perez. Um, you cannot just blame one player and the team will learn from this. I just look at the positives um, halfway through the season. You are 29 points. Uh, you are in a great position to to make the playoffs. And it's part of the process. The team has to uh, lose some games like this and learn from it, make adjustments. And hopefully for the second half of the season, um, Edo Lewin will be back. Hopefully Klaus will be back at some point. But the team with the team did what it could with the personnel it had, and uh, it, it almost worked. Yeah, second half adjustments, you talk about not working out. The one thing uh, for me is if, if it's not working, if, if, if the, the Shuffleberg substitution made an impact, maybe see if 
you can make an order substitution around the 60th minute, 65th, uh, to adjust because definitely he was making the difference um, on the duels with will kite Heaver and and he won quite a few and he was he also uh, on some long passes he went behind Skull Heaver's back so that's where I would have made an adjustment but um, it is what it is and I think the team will will learn from all of this. Yeah, and that's a so that that has me thinking because there was I saw a comment from uh, Taylor Twelman on a Justin Horniker tweet about Bradley Carnell's possible manager of the year candidacy type thing, and it was the adjustments haven't proven that he's at that point of a Pat Noonan and maybe even a Gary Smith, but what I what I see in this game that speaks to that is kind of a, a propensity for Bradley Carnell to make substitutions either at timed intervals in the second half or after big game-changing moments occur. And so in this game in particular, let's look at when some of those subs happened uh, really quickly because I want to move on to cover RSL here. But there was a there was the halftime substitution that I think was planned, prescriptive for Jake Nerwinski. There was a substitution right after the Hani Mukhtar PK where Akil Watts came in, which was mandated. That was a big game-changing moment where Kyle Hebert had the red card. The goal happened. We were down by one. You had to get a defender in. The next subs came three times, three subs at the same time in the 80th minute, after five minutes after the Hani Mukhtar goal. And Nashville had just subbed out Sean Davis. And so you have, again, something game-changing that had occurred, a second goal where you're trying to find an answer to it. Your point is very interesting to me in the sense of early in the second half, when you're seeing the impact that Schaffelberg has, you're seeing the the way he's able to target Kyle Hebert, and especially after the yellow card, knowing how dangerous Hani Mukhtar can be in transition, it would be nice to see a little more proactiveness in when you're willing to substitute to try and fight back against that and see something that isn't working, but it hasn't hurt you yet, and really change that up not give them a chance to to get more run out in that and hope that they're able to find an answer. But I think that may be something that I'm interested in seeing in the second half of the season, especially. Yeah. And I'm sure um, like, yeah, what you mentioned about 12 man um, saying that maybe he's not there yet, but that's also part. Yeah. You are developing players, but Bradley Carnell is also developing as a coach. And, First year and head he's, coach. He's learning from these moments and I'm sure he, he will get better at, at making adjustments, maybe uh, not, not doing what you were saying with the intervals for the substitutions, but maybe adjusting more based on the based on the way the game flows, but uh, it's his first year. And uh, yeah, you make some mistakes, you learn from those and, and you get better at it. That's how like a coach like Gary Smith, it's, it's up there and he has done great things with Nashville. Um, you need time and, and you need to make some mistakes and learn from those to, uh, to continue developing as a coach. Anything else you want to leave for Nashville? No, let's talk about RSL. Yeah, so let's let's look at where we go into this. So after the Nashville game, they still sit second in the East with 35 points. They've played 18 matches and they improved to 10-3 and 5. They're still only uh one one loss and two draws at home. They continue their streak. St. Louis, halfway through the season has now created quite the log jam at the top of the Western Conference. Through halfway through the season, St. Louis has 29 points and they fall now to 9-6 and 2, 9 wins, 6 losses, 2 draws. Three, four, and one on the road. Still haven't won a road match since March 25th, but it doesn't matter right now because they return home to face a Real Salt Lake team that is in good form on the road to their own credit. But some personnel notes here for St. Louis going into it is that St. Louis will be without Kyle Hebert, like we said, due to his red card at Nashville. We're hopeful that Jabula Blome can be back after having gone to South Africa. Unfortunately, he didn't see any minutes. He didn't feature for them in their match against Morocco. Hoping his travel was was wasn't as extensive enough to limit any action. You know, I think those are like 14-hour flights going through Atlanta down to Johannesburg. His fitness is going to be the only question. Uh, Leuven is also going to be a question. How's the quad doing? How's that holding up in the past few days? Is he able to go? And Klaus likely out still. I don't think this is going to allow time for that to change at all with the quick turnaround. Obviously, Joachim Nilsson's still out. So as we sit going into this. Looking at Real Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake is seventh in the West with 23 points through 18 matches. They've played one more match than City. They have a 6-7-5 and five record with 20 goals scored, a minus-8 goal differential, 
And here's the interesting thing, as opposed to normal MLS teams that are successful at home and struggle or middling on the road, Real Salt Lake is 4-3-2 and two on the road and 2-4-3 and three at home. This team has figured out how to win on the road, and their last three matches really highlight that. This past weekend, they had a 2-1 win at DC United. Before that, they had a home draw, 0-0 against NYCFC. And then before that, a 2-1 win at Austin. All these matches were in June, and they also had a match in the U.S. Open Cup where they defeated the LA Galaxy 3-2 on June 7th. So this team's had a lot of matches in June, but they've had a lot of success in June as well. What do you think of Real Salt Lake coming into this, Santi? It's not the same Real Salt Lake um, City defeated back in April playing at um, Sandy, Utah. And um, people could look at the score, oh, City beat Real Salt Lake 4 to nothing. but you have to go back and look at the game. It was a game that on the first half, Real Salt Lake had a lot of chances. Um, Roman Berkey had eight saves in that game, one at the beginning of the first half that could have, not at the beginning, at the end of the first half that could have mm-hmm change the game and uh, luckily uh, City scored early in the half and then changed the game but this is a, a team that is competitive comes uh, with a good streak of results is undefeated on the road uh, on their last five games yeah. so it's, it's not going to be an easy game and thinking about it they are seventh uh, in the conference with 23 points just six points away from City uh, with that logjam that, that you mentioned, like every everybody is so close in the Western Conference. So this could be one of those games that, um, yeah, it's it's the half point through the season, but this is one of those six points games um, because if City wins, uh, it will take a, a gap of nine points with RSL, but if RSL gets a result, uh, they will get um, to 26 points, just three behind City. RSL sitting in seventh place. They're in between Dallas, Houston, and Vancouver, Portland. These are teams that St. Louis City has had success in. So this caliber of team, where as it's shaken out so far, San Jose just above that, above Dallas. So we're we're seeing this spot, not just the fact that we've beaten them before, but this is an opportunity to put further distance, like you said, between the two teams. I think. The style-wise, Santi, looking at the style for Real Salt Lake and what we can expect, uh, some of it's a refresher, but stylistically, they're very similar to Chicago Fire. They're above average in their directness of passing. They're below average in the number of passes per sequence. They like to control possession down their left attacking side, but they're quick to strike on their right. So they dominate possession down their left in the attacking end, but they're going to put a lot of a lot of struggle or a lot of uh, pressure on our left back in transition. So this is where I see Johnny Nelson needing to really put his defensive mind on, defensive cap on, so to speak. And he's going to need to be really mindful of how high he's pressing and able to defend back in transition. Real Salt Lake's strengths, Santi, are shooting from direct free kicks, attacking down the wings, like I mentioned, and they create a lot of chances through some individual skill, though that may play into St. Louis's favor. We'll touch on that in a minute. And some of their weaknesses are finishing, avoiding offside. They like to they like to try and time their runs well and defending against long shots, winning aerial duels, some of the things that they struggle with. And those in particular are some of the things that St. Louis is very adept in. It was one of the things that I wanted to see more of in this Nashville game were taking longer opportunities, longer shots, something Edu Leuven is very, very adept in. Indiana Vasilev and Jared Stroud also like to take their chances if they can find lanes. The aerial duels, we, we've talked so much about how the aerial duels are important to St. Louis, winning those battles, winning those 50-50s, trying to create possession to the point where you can immediately counter or push forward. Those are some things that St. Louis loves to do and that Real Salt Lake is weak in. So from Real Salt Lake, expect to see a lot of crosses, expect to see a lot of long shots, uh, long ball opportunities. When they attack down their wings, especially on that right side, they're going to be very quick. They're going to take a lot of shots, so getting uh, traffic in the lane from Lucas Bartlett, from Tim Parker, that's going to be very important. And we can expect to see some similar tactile subs in the second half. So Real Salt Lake uses a lot of their subs, just like St. Louis. I think the second half adjustments are going to be just as key here as they were to Nashville. For sure. But um, yeah, just looking at their weaknesses, um, those play to um, City's strengths. Um, but yeah, RSL has been doing well, different point of the season uh, when 
when St. Louis beat them four to nothing, that that was kind of the low point of the season for them. But they have been trending up, doing well in Open Cup, and they have some good uh, individual players. Although you were alluding to it, uh, some of them will be on on national team duty, which may help uh, City. Although just thinking about Nashville yesterday. Nashville had some players on national duty themselves, um, mm-hmm. and at the end they were able to uh, to have some good good subs uh, for those players. Uh, one thing that um, I don't know if you noticed, but obviously Walker Zimmerman was out um, for Nashville, and his backup uh, was questionable for the game, ended up not playing. So mm-hmm. they basically had their third or fourth center back option playing, but it didn't really make a difference they're lucas bartlett equivalent right yeah yeah so the the difference with real salt lake though because they are going to have some more players out is the impact to the attack that their players that will be out have to their team real salt lake will be without jefferson savarino and rubio rubin for this match the team has already announced that both will miss just like they missed the dc united match and and it will be to finish their national team duties so the key here is that jefferson savarino is their their lone designated player, the number 10. He had three goals in April, has been kind of scoreless in league play, but had three goals in all in the last six all comps with the US Open Cup. He leads their team in assists with four. So this is a very key, key component to their offense. A lot of their offense runs through him, not unlike uh, I would say a Jao Klaus was and Nico Joachini. He's important into their offense. So missing him is is a blow. But Rubio Rubin, also a, their number 14 forward, he has two goals and an assist, but he had been rounding into form really well lately with two goals against Austin, two assists in the US Open Cup against Galaxy recently. The way that he had been rounding into form, I, I feel this is just as big, if not a bigger loss than Savarino. The two of them together, obviously it wasn't enough to prevent them from beating DC United, so the team can still find a way to win. And part of that goes to some of their other players, Pablo Ruiz, Andres Gomez, Pablo Ruiz, go back and watch those highlights from DC United because if you like the Lucas Zellerion goal from Columbus a week or so ago, you're going to like this one from the left-hand side beyond midfield, another worldie. This guy has pinpoint accuracy. Uh, Pablo Ruiz, their number seven. He's a 24-year-old Argentinian midfielder, tied for first in the team in goals with four, three goals in their last five league matches, including that howler. And Andres Gomez, number 11 midfielder, leads their team with five assists. These guys are just as capable, along with guys like Danny Muskovsky and Damir Krylich, who uh, Muskovsky has three goals, including one this weekend against DC United. Krylich has two goals. Those guys are going to be integral in replacing these guys. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, RSL um, with with uh, Krylich and Muskovsky uh, will will basically. Um, have a good plan for um, Savarino's and Rubio Rubin's absences. They are still dangerous, even with without Rubin, without Rubio Rubin and and Jefferson Savarino, and they are coming in good form. They won yesterday without them, so um, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, one of those games that um, is gonna be close, and uh, RSL is gonna come with a chip on their shoulder just because City. Got them four to nothing back in April. Speaking of Pablo Ruiz, uh, I believe he was the player that had that back that uh, pa- that back back pass to um, yes, he was. Klaus. Uh, so he's also gonna come with a chip on his shoulder. He will want to uh, to show uh, that he's passed that, and he comes in good form. So um, this is not gonna be an, an easy game, but but City has to uh, go back to its winning ways and. Um, just um, get a win at City Park, uh, continue making City Park a fortress and uh, be back uh, to the winning ways and basically be ready for a quick turnaround against uh, San Jose on Saturday. And that match, don't forget, on from March 25th, where St. Louis beat Real Salt Lake in Sandy, Utah for nothing. That was the last time St. Louis won on the road. And two of those goals scored were by Joao Klaus. So we're, it's not just Real Salt Lake that is a vastly different team than uh, who was in that match. It's St. Louis as well is a vastly different team that Salt Lake will see compared to the team that beat them for nothing. We have we have Nico Joachini who's going to be taking a more starring role in this game. We hope to have Edu Leuven back. But in that match, we started Johnny Nelson out on the left. So that piece will be pretty consistent. 
Thomas Ostrak started that game. Jared Stroud started that game. Indiana Vasilev. A lot of the pieces are still there that they saw from earlier, but the way that our shape has been in these past few games, and especially against Nashville, pretty vastly different from what we ran out. It'll be interesting to see how much of the tapes from that game are impactful versus recent form against other teams. And and in and of itself, you just have to hope that enough was learned from the Nashville game and how to handle a game without Eddie Leuven. Because I, I talked to uh, Brennan Weesey on the big 550 KTRS Sunday morning about how this reminded me so much of those first few matches without Klaus and how we had the personnel on our roster that could fill the roles, but what they were asked to do especially with Nico Joachini after Klaus, he needed to find changes. He needed to change up what his approach was, play higher, do different things instead of just trying to be a Klaus clone. And Miggy Perez is, to me, going to be relied on just as heavily, maybe less so the full 90, but he'll be relied on in this match as well. And he'll need to do that same kind of adjustment where you need to figure out how to play without Edu Leuven. Um, he might find himself more as a sub role if Jabulu Blom is able to return. So that's another aspect to the Rail Salt Lake side is that they weren't facing Jabulu Blom in their first match. They haven't seen him. And we know the impact that he individually can have on this in stopping so much from the middle. I mentioned how Tim Parker and Lucas Bartlett need to clog up the middle from those in those lanes and the channels. Well, if Jabulu Blom is there with them, total game changer. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is the only player RSL hasn't seen. Um, but I see it the other way. I don't think he will be ready for 90 minutes. So he will be a good second half sub- substitute for uh, Miggy Perez like, around the 60-minute mark. Maybe he will be fit and he will he will start. But I see it more as him coming on the second half. Just uh, long travel, even if mm-hmm. he didn't play, uh, I don't think uh, he will be fit for 90 minutes. So let's go with lineups, Santi. Lineups and predictions of Real Salt Lake. You want me to go first? Yes. <laughs> All right. So we know Kyle Hebert's out. We know that there are potential limitations with Jabulu Blom. Um, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Edu Leuven misses this one as well. With the quick turnaround, I would rather see a healthy Leuven going into the back half of June into July in Leagues Cup. I think Klaus obviously still out. So I'm going to roll with Berkey and Nett, Johnny Nelson, Tim Parker, Lucas Bartlett, Jake Nerwinski on our back line. I'll say Tomas Ostrak, Rasmus Alm, Jared Stroud, and Jabulu Blom. Indiana Vasilev and Nico Joachini in some way, shape, or form. I think it'll end up being a four-four-two. Wouldn't surprise me if we try to run out that diamond. Um, but I I do think Blom starts. I'll I'll take the opposite approach. I don't think he goes the full ninety, but I'm hopeful that uh, we can leverage him for the majority of the game as opposed to a tactical sub. I wouldn't be surprised though either way if it was Blom or Perez. Those two guys are. They're not interchangeable, but you know what I mean as far as whichever one starts, the other's going to sub type of a situation. I don't think we take off Ostrock. I don't think Vasilev, Stroud, Alm, or Joachini are any big question to me. Maybe Salio for Ostrock. I don't, but I think Ostrock played a good enough game that that's my lineup. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with mine. Uh, it's similar, but I have a couple of things that are different. So, so yeah, very key. Um, Nelson on the left side, Parker and Barlett, Nerwinski. Then instead of Blom, I have uh, I have Miggy Perez, and then I have um, Jerry Stroud, Ostrak, and instead of um, instead of uh, Basilev, and instead of Rasmus Alm playing up front with Nico Joachini, I'm gonna go with Celio Pompeo. I like it. I like it. That that is. That's a good call, I think, for what Salio can bring to the attack. And it still gives Vasilev, Stroud, and Ostrock that midfield freedom, which, remember, it worked fairly well against Nashville. We were we were threatening in multiple times. We kept a good shape in that first half. And so if you're looking at a blueprint for what worked for, Na- for St. Louis, Nashville's first half, if you're looking at what you need to adjust, it's the second half. And I think there's a lot of promise coming back to City Park. Real Salt Lake is playing on just as short of a rest as St. Louis. So both teams pretty, as far as fitness goes, are pretty in line with each other. I think it's just going to be a battle of those second half adjustments like it has been the past few games. Yeah, but yeah, I think City is going to be as strong at, at City Park, uh, get back to uh, its winning ways. And 
be confident going going into uh, another big game against San Jose uh, next Saturday. Yep. A lot of matches coming up quickly. Anything else on Real Salt Lake, Santi? Score prediction? A score prediction. Um, I'm going to go with City 3, Real Salt Lake 1. I'll go City 2, Real Salt Lake 1. So All right. let's, hope, let's hope we're right, at least from a winning perspective. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Santi, last thing we have. It's something special, and I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. I teased it on Twitter last week or so. Um, we're going to be doing a giveaway on Flyover Footy. First giveaway that I think I've ever been a part of, and I think that we've done on Flyover. Uh, so this one's kind of exciting. If anybody's been following me or various accounts in St. Louis soccer on social media, you know of those Nico Sports collectible St. Louis City soccer balls. They have a lot of a lot of information captured on the first the five game win streak to start City Park's opening, all of that stuff on the ball. It's a collectible. There it is. There it is right here on the stream. If anybody's watching, um, what we're doing is we're giving one of these away and we're leveraging and partnering with the St. Luligans and their pride raiser uh, donation pledges to do it. So simple as can be, if you make a pledge to the St. Luligans Pride Razor at stl.prideraiser.org for any amount that goes to help fund the St. Louis Metro Trans Umbrella Group and all the great work that that organization does, let us know. Post it to one of our social media replies on Twitter. You don't have to say what you donated. You can just post a screenshot uh, with your, your name. You don't have to show the dollar amount. Or just let us know you do. We'll try to use Scout's Honor on this. We'll gather everybody who's donated and told us that they've donated, and we'll do a random drawing on our first recording in July. We'll draw one random winner live on our stream and on our pod recording, and we'll get in touch and send you a ball. So that's it. We'll have more details on social media. I'll be touting this for the rest of the month. I think it's pretty exciting, and I'm, I'm excited to, you know, to, to help out, give back, to be able to offer this. Thanks to Nico Sports for helping us out with this, and... It should be a good time. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great giveaway, a way to support the Pride Racer campaign and also get a good prize. And and look at it, Matt is showing it here on the stream. So uh, just donate to Pride Racer and you get a chance to to win this this really nice ball. And that's all for us on Flyover Footy this week. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you sticking with us. It's a big time, exciting time for St. Louis. Halfway through the season, still in first place. A lot to be excited about. Santi, we'll be back uh, later on this week to talk more recapping RSL and looking ahead. So join us then, and thanks for sticking with us today. Thank you. See you, guys.